Welcome to the Living Savior Church today. Praise the King. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If we only really knew what we had in Christ, we would do more worshiping and praising the King. You know, so it's amazing uh, how we forget what we have in Christ. You know, he's, he's a mighty God. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. And of course, uh, you know, this this last week I got to see something. I mean, I, I have never uh, in my life in a, a little airplane, I have never flown over the Rockies and all this kind of stuff. But this last week I got to do that. I went up to Seattle and flew back in a single-engine airplane all the way from Seattle, Washington, all the way back to Dallas. And I'm telling you, when you fly over that, and for hours, it took 10 hours for me to fly back. <clears throat> but as I flew across the mountains, I saw the beauty of the glory of God. I mean, when I looked out of those windows and when I took off in Seattle, it was so dense I couldn't see the runway lights hardly in the center line. It was the most dense fog I think I've ever took off in in my life. But it was so dense. But once I got airborne just a couple thousand feet up, it was as clear as it is in this room. You can see the mountains and everything. It was so beautiful. And I flew all the way across to Billings, Montana, across all those big, beautiful mountains. And I'm looking out through a set of eyes that see things today that I didn't see before. But I'm looking and I think, God, you made all that for me. You loved me enough to make all that just for me. If there wasn't another human being on this earth, Lord, you would have made it for me. And then, of course, as I flew from Billings, Montana on toward Dallas, I flew over hours and hours and hours of deep, deep snow. I never saw so much snow in my life. I mean, if we don't have any snow here. We get up about halfway up into uh, the state of Oklahoma and the snow disappears. But from there north, everything is just covered as far as you can see. All the mountains and everything were so beautiful. And I thought, Lord, that's so magnificent to think that you've done that for us, your children. You made this place. But I said, Lord, that's nothing compared to the gift of Christ. That me and my wickedness. And all the frailties and the wickedness and the sin and everything I've done in my life, you died. You sent your son to die for me so that all of that could be washed away and I could be here today before you, looking up into heaven, looking down to earth, thinking that I am a son of God, the righteousness of God in Christ because of what you've done. And all this wonderful power and authority that's in the Scripture, belongs to me as a son of God. I thought, wow, that's a little more than the human mind can comprehend. You know it? It really is when you think. But the problem is we don't know these promises. We don't stand on them. Every time the enemy comes against us with some little something, we fail to realize who we are in Christ and what we can do. Well, today we're going to talk about some of those things, but first I'm going to see if there anybody got a testimony. Uh, Michelle, she told me she had one. I know she's got a little testimony. She hasn't been here in a few weeks, so I'm sure some things have happened in her life. Well, we were, we were playing basketball on our team, 
And we and this one team looked really scary. Now thinking how scary, scary, no way. Got out there, we beat them thirty two to sixteen. Wow. Amen. And they were getting mad and I was thinking I think there's some devil people out there. But I after the game I told them I'm like, Be fair, you lost three one. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Glory to God. Come up here, young lady. Here's another young lady got a testimony. She wants to tell us something that Jesus has done. Step right up there. Tell us what the Lord's done in your life. God, I just pray for God for you. I was praying last night and I said, God, before the rapture, don't let this man pass away. I cover you with fire. I said, we need him. Oh, we don't want him to leave here anytime soon. So you're not going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> well, praise God. Um, I have not been here a while because I don't drive. I live in the Lancaster area. And my husband works weekends and nights. But anyhow, I prayed him out of the job. He got laid off one day earlier this week, so here we are. Amen. <laughs> but I know the Lord's going to fix that. Amen. But I'm telling you, um, I have the luxury of working on a job where I can work while on the Internet. And I decided, because I started to do a little fasting, because I need to get higher, some breakthroughs I need. And you know, when you start to fast, God's going to do things. And something spoke to my heart, said, I went on your website because I never remember ever seeing your sermons on the website before where I can listen to. Man, when I discovered that, it was like in a candy shop. I started listening, and I'm telling you, I had a problem. I was a um, TV junkie for how many years now? I got home and I had to watch TV when I know I'm supposed to be in the world, whatever. Could not keep me habit. All the reruns, Lucille Ball and the rest of them, I watched them all. And trust me, when I heard you talk about watching TV and what it does to you, and every time you watch it, you have to go back and get yourself all cleansed out, that was all it takes. And I said to myself, I have been free since last week. Amen. And I <laughs> but I'm telling you, I'm on the side every day listening to your messages. And I have some of my coworkers that are now hooked. They want to come and meet you. Praise I have church members that I'm, I'm telling them to get on this side and listen. And they too, because I'm telling you folks, you don't know what you have here. There are churches out there where the people are not getting anything. They don't know one deadly spot of what you know. Make use of it. Because what you are learning here is will save our lives. It will take us to the level. Because right now I'm getting to levels that I didn't know I could reach. And this is what I've been hungering and thirsting for. And your teaching is helping me to get there. I found myself praying for three hours. I couldn't do that before. Amen. And I said, praise be to God. So, God bless you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, we praise the Lord. We praise the Lord for what He's doing. Amen. Yes, ma'am. The Word is working mightily in me. Amen. And I came to uh, Bible study on Tuesday night. And before I came, I, I asked the Lord, I said, well, what is wrong with me? 
Because I was like, Lord, because the Holy Spirit would give me some assignments to do, and I'd get all excited, but I never would, like, fulfill them. And I was like, Lord, what is wrong with me? So that Tuesday night, the gentleman from Africa, from Kenya, was here, and he ministered to us about the Holy Spirit. And he gave me, like, a whole lesson on the Holy Ghost. And I was, like, so excited because he talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and how we need the Holy Spirit to do God's service. And I just started, I went home just in obedience, and I just started exercising the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I just was praying in tongues, and all of a sudden I felt his supernatural power. And then um, the Holy Spirit um, led me to when Jesus um, got baptized by John the Baptist, and how the Holy Spirit came down upon him, and um, the, the Father opened up the heaven, and he said, this is my son who I am well pleased. Amen. And I was like, oh, my goodness. So it's like when we receive the Holy Spirit, God empowers us to do the, the work, his service. Amen. So I just got so excited about that. That's my first testimony. And then my second testimony is my girlfriend um, in Florida. I had came to you, uh, Pastor Thurman, and you said, Kim, we just going to believe God right now, and you prayed the prayer of faith. So I told my girlfriend, but like, sometimes they don't have ears to hear. So she went through the surgery, and I was so grieved because it's like you up here in the things of the Lord, and they're still there. So the Holy Spirit told me to just let her go, you know, let her go through what she has to go through, but to minister to her physical needs, like help pay her rent and just help her. So I said, okay, Holy Spirit. And then she she went through surgery. She was still in pain. And I told her, you know, there's something there that the Lord wants to reveal to you. And um, at first she couldn't receive it. And then, but after all the tormenting, she got tired of the pain. <laughs> so then her ears started wanting to be open. And I told her to read about Job. And then um, I told her about um, Psalm, I think it's 52, or there was a Psalm 52 or 32. I think one of them songs where David confessed his sins to God. So that's what she began to do. And next thing I know, she started rebuking the demons out of her. She started throwing up. She was throwing. She says, Kim, I started throwing up. She got so violent in her spirit because she was tired of pain. And um, so I just wanted to give God the praise because my sister is set free. And she doesn't have the the excruciating, the torment and pain that she had. So I just wanted to say all glory be to God. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Glory. Wow. Anybody got one that will top that? (laughs) It don't have to top that. but Praise the Lord. Do you mind a bit of a story? Do what? Do you mind a bit of a story? Well, as long as you don't preach the whole hour. <laughs> All right. My wife and I came down from Canada. It's about a, where we live, if you don't stop, it's about a 36-hour drive. Um, it's north of Edmonton, about an hour, which you're going to preach in. Oh, okay. Yeah, in a couple of weeks. Right. Praise God. We came down, the brakes failed in South Dakota, Dakota. They were kind of going by the time we crossed over the border, but it was already far enough we decided we weren't going to turn back. And then they were, they were getting sloshy. By the time I got to Rapid City, the brakes failed on me. I went through a red and we got T-bones. The, van, the camper van was on its side. But the Lord who is good, we, that van was put back on. It was running on its side. That's one thing. It never stopped. No problem with it. Not, not at that point at least. 
basically my wife's nose was broken on a cupboard. Um, it was really badly broken, and uh, she had a couple of deep cuts that they had put eight stitches in one little section of her nose in order to go to deal with. Now, we actually, I, we, I laid hands on her. They sent an ambulance, so she went and sat in the ambulance. We refused the ambulance. But I laid hands on her, and the ambulance driver's like, like this while I was doing it. I always pray with one eye open, Gloria. <laughs> At least around unbelievers, praise God. It's awesome. But anyway, so right now, before, before she went back to Canada so I could fix the van um, at Furman's, actually, praise God, the, uh, my wife has absolutely no sign except the, a couple of lines where the scar used to be. The scars are almost completely gone. Amen. And they said there would be scars. They said there isn't anything we could do about that. They also said that, I mean, a nose takes weeks to heal. So that's only a two weeks from the time it happened to the time that it, uh, to the time it was gone, praise God. Amen. That's Amen. one testimony. We were supposed to need a completely new engine. My motor was supposed to be blown by the whole ordeal. Well, Dave and I sat down again, bless the Lord, <laughs> because of Thurman's blessing. We sat down and took apart my engine, and all it is is like $200 worth of work, plus I learned how to use an engine. So it doesn't talk, but it sure testifies that the Lord is good. Amen. Praise He's God. a wonderful God. Praise praise the God. Amen. <laughs> praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I got tickled as they come, Dave and Joshua comes and ask me questions about the vehicle, and I give them the answers and what they can expect and what's wrong and what caused it and all this stuff. They says, you are a wealth of information. I said, well, you know, as I have worked on vehicles so many years and I've learned these things, and some of the things I'm telling you took me months or years to learn, now then there's no use. You have to reinvent the wheel. You just come to me and I'll tell you how to fix these things and where they go and all those things because I have that knowledge. You know, and when you have that knowledge, you might as well have benefit the younger people, right? You know, so they were able to fix the vehicle, get it going again, uh, and they haven't got it going yet, but they're getting close. But uh, they first told him up there in Memphis, where he got to on the way home, that he needed a complete new engine. And so they somehow got it running a little bit better, and he drove it back down here. Oh, okay, you just hobbled it back. Oh, I thought they'd done something to it. Okay, so they didn't really do anything, so he just kind of hobbled it back. And it was running very bad when he got here, I will have to say. But it turned out to be a minor problem, uh, uh, nothing real major, uh, something they can fix real easy. But uh, anyway, uh, when you have that knowledge, uh, you can help people. So Now, that's what we, as the older Christians, are supposed to do to the younger Christians. You know, that's what the older women are supposed to do for the younger women. You know, that's what the older men are supposed to do to the younger men. We are to study God's Word. <clears throat> and we are to be an example of Christ to them. <coughs> it's unfortunate that so many, and I'll have to put the monkey on us men, it's so unfortunate that so many men, we get so involved in the things of the world, making a living to provide for our families that we don't provide spiritual training for our families. That's a real problem. You know, I've seen so many women that have been the women of God, you know, that take the children to church when the husband's out, 
you know, he's working, and of course, you know, when hunting season comes, he's got to go hunting, or when football season comes, he's got to stay at home to watch football, or fishing season comes, wherever your desires are, you put those in front of your family and God. But what a shame. But every man's not like that. I know a lot of good Christian men out there that are about God's business, and those Christian men are doing great things for the body of Christ. I'm grateful for those men. <clears throat> if you're not one of those men and you're still alive, become one of them. You know, it's not too late. It's never too late to become a man of God. Any other testimonies before we move on? No more? Okay, praise. Oh, okay, come up here, young lady. Come on. Praise the King. You got here just right. <clears throat> come up here. Praise the Lord and tell us what God is in you. You've time to take your coat off yet. Step up here. Two years ago, I called the ministry. It was November two years ago. I can't remember what year it is right now. But um, I asked, I needed to know what the judgments and statutes were in the Bible. And um, I had talked to Cheryl here. And I had a hard time understanding what all that meant versus the Ten Commandments. Well, two months ago, the Lord just opened up the Word to me on that issue. Now, also... About six months ago, I had other questions in the Word, and I was praying and fasting. I had just gotten into understanding what fasting was, and he also showed me a website on fasting. I mean, he's just opening up the Word if you just wait. Just wait. He will not give up on you if you don't give up on him. And he won't give up on you at all. But you just have to wait and be faithful. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, aren't you certainly glad that none of the rest of us ever have a problem or have a question that we need answered? Now, let me tell you, everybody has problems and everybody has questions about the Word of God. If you've read the Word of God and you don't have questions, you didn't get anything out of it. You know, because you don't never understand it right off the bat, do you? No, it takes time to get in there. So, we have any other testimonies? Praise God. Praise the Lord. I see Marilyn back there. Praise God. You look lovely today, girl. Praise the Lord. I mean, we prayed for her the other day, last Sunday. She was not feeling well at all. actually prayed for her because Larry came. But, you know, we all have these kind of trials and tests. And I want to talk about some of them today. I want us to go to Galatians 5 to start off with. That's where I want to start today in Galatians 5. And I want us to see a little bit about what we have here. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. And I want to read just the first few verses here. In fact, I might read them. I think I'll read them in the NLT. They're so powerful in either one, it don't make any difference which one. But the NLT seems to be a little clearer. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 is where I'm going to start. It says, So Christ has really set us free. Has He really set you free? You know, I lived in bondage a long time as a Christian. Why did I live in bondage as a Christian? Because I didn't know that the King had set me free. He is a faith God. You know, what's so devastating is when we call someone and try to tell them, like Kim did, 
we call a friend or something when we find the truth and we try to tell them and they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear what Jesus has done for us. How sad. And so, therefore, the Lord just says, just go ahead and let her suffer. You know, she'll finally get to a point if her suffering, if, if you know, if, if through that suffering and pain, you'll finally, or not everybody does, but a lot of people will get to the point where they'll say, you know, maybe there is help in Jesus. Maybe He can help me. In other words, when I get tired of suffering and be in pain, that's just kind of like, you know, <clears throat> I think about I didn't get very many whippings at home. I didn't remember them. They all happened when I was a young man, I guess. Uh, my mother says my dad gave me the worst whipping I ever had in my life when I was just a little guy, and I don't even remember it. I was so young. She said I walked up to the table and tucked the little uh, deal of toothpicks sitting on the table and just knocked them off the floor and poured them off, off the floor. Daddy said, son, pick those up. And I said, no. So he said, son, come over here. I'll help you. We'll just pick up the toothpicks. And he got over and took the little holder and started picking them. He said, help me pick them up. And I said, no. He said, son, you either want to help me pick up those toothpicks or I'm going to spank you. I said, I ain't picking them up. Dad started spanking me. And Mother said, he spanked me till he got ashamed of himself. And I never picked up a toothpick. Now, all I got to say, there had to be a very obstinate, stiff-necked, stupid demon in me. <laughs> Because today, I wouldn't even hesitate, you know. But, you know, it, out of all of these things, <clears throat> whenever we're suffering, if we would just listen to the voice of God, we wouldn't have to go through the suffering. I was thinking about a gentleman that came to the healing school yesterday. He, uh, he stayed to one of the last ones to pray for. He was from Lubbock. He said a few years ago, I was coming to Dallas for a business meeting. I was driving. He said, I got off late. He said, I was just about at the Abilene area. And he said, I was driving 90 miles an hour. He said, I realized I was definitely speeding. I shouldn't have been speeding. But he said, I got off late, and I had a meeting I needed to be at at Dallas at a certain time, and I didn't want to be late. And to get there, I knew I had to speed. So he said, I wasn't just speeding. I was driving 90. Okay, so he's down a big freeway, Interstate 20. He said, I'm just about Abilene, and there's a car running about 70 in the right lane. He said, all of a sudden, I'm about 15 or so seconds from this guy. No problem. I've passed a lot of people in the left lane. All of a sudden, I hear a voice say, don't pass that man. He said, I heard an audible voice, Thurman. I said, I know. I've had the privilege to hear that voice many times in my life. He said, I said, why, Lord? He said, I knew that was God. I said, why, Lord? He said, just obey me. Isn't that amazing? You know, why does God speak to you? Does He speak to you just to hear His voice? No, He speaks to you because He's compassionate and loving and kind, and He wants to save you from something. And you don't have to go about questioning him, why, God, if he says, don't pass that man, hit the brakes. That's all you got to do. You don't have a clue what's fixing to happen. But he said, when the Lord says, just obey me, he said, I stepped on the brake instantly. He said, I was still four or five car lengths at least from the guy. He said, I hit him hard. And he said, almost immediately, he said, the guy, something happened or something broke on his car, and he turned sideways in front of me. 
and at 70 miles an hour started rolling side over side down the freeway. It said fenders were coming off, pieces were coming off. It looked like a movie, like you'd see something happen in a movie. But he said, this happened right in front of my eyes. He said, now, if I hadn't obeyed, if I hadn't done what God said, that guy would hit me right in the side. Hey, do you think God loves you? Do you think when God speaks to you, He's doing something for your harm or for your good? For your good. So why is it, and I'm the same way, I'm, my prayer this morning was that sure when I was driving in, I said, Father, when you speak to me, help me to be immediately attentive to your voice. And to do exactly what you say every time. Lord, get, let me get past the point where I ever even question you. You know, I mean, you know, I can think of the, some of the times way back yonder in my life when God would speak to me. And I would, I mean, <laughs> I remember the first time God spoke to me about healing a man. It was the fourth time in my life I'd heard God's audible voice when the Lord told me to tell this man which had terminal cancer. He said, tell him to call the men of the church together to pray over him and I'll heal him. And I turned to him, and I, after I prayed with her and walked down the aisle, I said, God, you didn't hear what she said. I mean, this guy's got terminal cancer. I mean, he, ain't nobody can heal him. Does that tell you where my faith was at the time? Sure it does. Did I have much? No. See, I didn't know who God was. I mean, you, oh yeah, I knew he created the heavens and the earth. But, I mean, you know, I, I got a fogged up idea of who God is and what he can do. You know, but I was I was in a totally different place. So I'm questioning him, telling him that only he, and even he couldn't heal the guy. You know, I can imagine what God did when he looked down at me. Can't you imagine what he said? Since he's in me, I can just see him now tap me on the back and say, Son, if you ever get a hold of who I am, if you ever get a hold, and you're going to one day, I'm going to see to it that you're going to get a hold of who I am. Then, when I tell you to do something like this, you'll be ready to just jump out there and say, let's do it. Because you know you're going to see my glory. And that's where we all need to get. But so Christ has really set us free. Are you really free? Well, I wasn't then. But you've got to know it. And how do you learn you're free? By reading the Scripture. You get in the Scripture. He says, so Christ has really set us free. But I know a lot of people that are in the church, that are still being in bondage. They don't know that they're free. Now, make sure that you stay free. Isn't that amazing that he would warn us to make sure that you stay free? Isn't that amazing? I wonder how you do that. If he wants you to make sure that you stay free, there must be a way you can slip back into bondage. Right? Must be. Very possible, isn't it? Oh, yeah, very and here's the way he's telling you. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Don't get tied up in that. In other words, you are technically, as a Christian, are free from the law. But you've got to know it, and you've got to obey him to stay free of that. I mean, when that devil comes up on you and says, but you know, wouldn't you love to have that? I mean, here you're a young man, see. You got a good job, you've been to school, you know, you got your education, now you're out there working, you're making some good bucks, you're going to church, doing all the things you know you're supposed to be doing, you're serving God, and you got a nice little car, you know, that's only four years old and you only owe three thousand dollars on you'll have it paid off. 
But you go around the corner, and here's one of your buddies that's got a brand new $60,000 red Corvette. He said, let me take you for a ride in my new car. And he speeds you around the road and everything. Say, boy, isn't this thing something? And you come back and a little voice says, you know, you need one of those. You're only a 25 or 30-year-old young man. Man, the desire of your heart is to have a $60,000 red Corvette. Now, that would put your finances way to the limit. You wouldn't have money to do nothing else. You might have money to buy a little gas for it. Maybe to get back and forth to work, but you wouldn't have money to go out on a date. So forget that. But see, you don't think about that. And so that covetousness or that lust comes into you. And that's under the law. So you start meditating on that covetousness, and that devil says, I'll get him in bondage. And so you go down, instead of keeping the good car you have and continue to drive it and save your money, you go down and get in bondage and buy a brand new $60,000 Corvette. Now you're paying interest and high insurance and everything else. Oh, by the way, you were 24 years old, so your insurance premiums are three times what they would have been if you'd been one year older. You know, you're dumb. You're listening to the wrong voice. Now, how can I share those kind of things with you? Because I was young and dumb once myself. I've been there and done all those things. I know that they don't pay good dividends. You know, but when you're young and dumb, it's hard to tell you the truth. It's hard for somebody to come, especially if you've got the money that you think you might be able to make that payment. It's hard for daddy to come in, but son, you know, you really don't need that car. Your other car is only four years old. You own like $3,000 having it paid off, and it gets good gas mileage, and your insurance premiums are fairly low. If you'll just give it a couple of more years, save your money, drive your nice car till you get past 25, your insurance payments will go down. But for a Corvette, the insurance are unimaginable for a 24-year-old young boy. It's kind of like the other day. I'll give you a scenario for an older man. Ty here is just becoming a pilot. He's got about 100 hours. He's got a beautiful 182. And they'll insure that. He called him up and said, what would my insurance be if I were to buy me a new Mooney? The guy said, how many hours you got? He said, about 100. He said, not only are they not going to be unreasonable, we just ain't going to insure you in a high-performance airplane. <laughs> Is that what he told you? He's 58 years old, and they're not going to insure him because they've got more sense. They know, they don't care how old you are, they know that if you don't have three or four or five hundred hours in flying retractables, constant speed props, they ain't going to insure you at no price because they know the chances of you landing gear up in that airplane is extremely high. And if you do, either you're going to kill yourself or tear up a half a million dollar airplane, and they don't want to pay for it. And so they just said, no way, we ain't going to insure you. You see where I'm coming from? Now then, if he'll just fly the airplane he's got, build him a few hundred hours, and he'll fly with me a little once in a while and get a few hours in, in a Mooney. And he gets 100 hours. One day he calls and said, yeah, i got 100 hours in a Mooney. got it logged right here in my book. Hadn't had no problem. No, they said, okay, then we'll insure you now. Now, do that. You know that? Yeah. But he's going to have to fly that kind of an airplane. So they're a very high-performance airplane. You know, so it's kind of like buying that Corvette, you know, versus the little Volkswagen. You know, so if you're used to driving a Volkswagen and all of a sudden you want that sells for 20000 or whatever, and all of a sudden you want to go out and buy a sixty or $80,000 Corvette, 
they know if you're 24 years old, your insurance premiums are going to be ridiculous because they know what you're going to do with that Corvette. That you're going to be out there speeding, ripping around corners, and doing all kinds of stupid stuff. Is that true? So, don't get back into bondage. Don't come back under the law, under covetousness, or none of those things. Stay free from those things. He wants you to be free. He said, listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ cannot help you. You know, a lot of people, a lot of men, when I was an engineer back in the working world, men would come into my office. When we get through the business, I said, now let me share something with you that's more important than this business. What is your spiritual life like? Do you know Jesus? Well, I go to church. I said, I didn't ask you that. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Well, I don't know, but I go to a certain kind of church. I said, do you think when you die, you're going to go to heaven? Well, I hope so. On what grounds? Well, I know I've not been a good guy. I mean, I've done pretty good things. You know, know, I've never run around with my wife. You know, I may have cheated on a few business deals here and there, but, you know, or whatever. Some of them say, well, I've only run around with my wife a few times. She don't know it, you know. But, I, I mean, I'm sure that my good to my wife and my kids will outweigh my bad, So I'm sure one day when I die, God would weigh all that and surely I'd get to heaven because my good would outweigh my bad. You think that guy's going to get to heaven? No, he's not going to make it. Well, see, you've got to tell him bluntly. Well, see, this is what Paul's saying. Listen now, Paul tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ cannot help you. That's about as clear as you can get, isn't it? I say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey all the regulations of the whole law of Moses. Has there been anybody ever in history that's obeyed all the commandments? No. Nobody. Not one. So if there's never been a human being on earth that followed that entire law, why are you trying to do that? Why would you be a man that's trying to say, well, I'm my good, you know, I mean, I think about this one guy. <clears throat> he has a tremendous way of presenting this to people. I heard him do this, and whenever people tell him those kind of things, he says, well, there is a law that God made that said you shall not steal. Have you ever stole anything? Well, yeah, but little things. What did you steal? Well, I stole a pencil one time. So what does that make you? Well, I mean, I stole a pencil. No, what does it make you? The guy don't want to say, it makes me a thief. See, nobody wants to be called a thief, do they? No. But it says it calls you a th- Okay, so you've broken one law. You're a thief. Did you ever tell a lie? Well, you know, maybe a couple of little bitty ones. So what does that make you? A liar? Did you ever commit adultery? Never committed adultery? Never done run around with my wife? Oh, did you ever look at a woman to lust for her? Well, unfortunately, I've done that a couple of times, he said. So what does that make you? Well, I mean, what? It makes you an adulterer. So what does all this make you? A thieving, lying adulterer. And you think God's going to let you in heaven on that? He said, it sounds to me like you need a Savior. You need somebody to forgive you of all of your sins. And that's where every one of us lives. Every one of us needs that Savior. 
once we come to that Savior, He washes us clean and makes us white as snow and takes all those sins and puts them as far as the east is to the west and we become the righteousness of God in Christ. Woo! Glory to God. And now that we're free at this point, now we're free. Glory to God. But you know, it took me a lot of years to learn I was free. I didn't know it. I mean, I, I did not know the freedom I had in Christ. I, I mean, I served the Lord, went to church, did everything. I read the Word, was a Sunday school teacher, a deacon, and everything else. But I still didn't know the freedom that I had in Christ. I didn't know that He was my Savior. He was my healer. That I could come to Him and talk to Him. He would talk to me. I didn't know all these things. So, how do you get there? You study the Word. You read it and believe what it says. Listen to what Paul says. I say it again. If you must, if you, if you must obey all the regulations of the whole law of Moses... For if you are trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. That's sad, isn't it? That's really sad. We have fell from His grace. Then he says, But we who live by the Spirit... Oh, wait a minute. That's supposed to be us. Is this supposed to be us then? It's you and me. But we who live by the Spirit. Now, this is supposed to be all the children of God he's talking to. Unfortunately, all of us don't know that, do we, Kim? But we're, we're learning it, aren't we? But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive everything promised to us who are right with God through faith. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, it makes us different, makes no difference to God, whether we are circumcised or uncircumcision. What is important, and there's only one thing, listen to what he says, what is as important is faith expressing itself in love. Now, how do you know a real true Christian? By their love, one for another. There's not very many Christians that walk there. Very few of us walk in this love. So, if this is what's important, he talks all about the things that in bondage and everything else and what works and what doesn't work. But what is important is faith expressing itself in love. Okay, so what do I got to do to walk in this love? I want to know. If that's what's important to God then I've got to know and I want to know exactly what I have to do to walk there. So you want to walk there? Yes. Let's turn back in the Scriptures a few pages to 1 Corinthians. And let's go talk about where we have to walk if we want to walk in that freedom. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's talk just a little bit about what we need to do to walk in this God kind of love. Now, this is what's important. Now, this, this will separate the men from the boys and the women from the girls. This is where the rubber meets the road right here. I mean, this, with the flesh, con, as you contend with the flesh, this is a part that is it's not impossible to do this because God told us we could do it. If God told us we could do it, we can do it. 
But you know, if you, every time you yield to the flesh, you'll let the flesh deceive you. And you'll miss God's blessing. Because God honors what He says in this book. And He says, the thing that's important to Him is faith expressing itself in love. Now, if you don't, if you don't walk in this God kind of love, your faith technically will not work. You will not be able to do great and mighty things in the name of Jesus. I mean, it depends on your faith, on your love walk, as to where the power is in your faith walk. In other words, how many of you would like to, and of course, I'm not there either, but I have seen many, many hundreds of miracles and thousands of healings, and God answered my prayer in lots of ways. But how would you like to walk up and every time you touch somebody in the name of Jesus, a person was lost, they get saved. How would you like to be, have that kind of power? How would your love walk like to be so good, you go get in a bus or, or whatever, and I, I've read stories about Smith Wigglesworth. They, they said there was never a man that walked on the earth beside Jesus that appeared to have more love than Smith Wigglesworth. Smith could go sit down in a train car going to pray for somebody for healing and open his Bible and not say nothing to nobody. And all of a sudden, a man over there would come running over, fall on his knees, slide up against his boot berth where he was at and say, I don't know what it is about you, sir, but I'm under conviction of sin and I need to get saved. Can you tell me how to get saved? How would you like to have that kind of power with God? How would you like for the Holy Spirit to be around you like that so that when people walk up to you, they say, I don't know what it is about you, but can I just touch you? And say, so, well, sure, what's wrong? I just, I just got to be close to you. What do you think that is? The Holy Ghost. You know, but most of us, you know, most of us people come and say, hmm, I don't want to be very close to you. Let me over here on this side of the room. <laughs> That's more of us than the other, right, Jesse? So there's something wrong with us when that's the case. People should want to be close to us as Christians. They should want to touch us. They should want what we got. I mean, just the other night I walked into a store to get something. And as I walked in, a young man there, he was a big guy. You know, he was a, probably I don't know, a lot bigger in every way than I was. And four or five, two or three, four inches taller than me. I don't see too many of them. You know, but this guy was a big boy, a young boy. He's standing behind me. I'm getting something. He said something to me. I forget what he said, but he said something. And I turned and looked at him. I said, oh, how you doing, son? He said, well, I'm doing great. He said, uh, are, are you, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm retired. He said, you're retired? I said, yeah. He said, what did you used to do? I said, I used to be an engineer. I said, you're full of questions. I got one. He said, you do? I said, sure. Are you a Christian? As a day to me, he said, well, well, yeah. I said, you don't know Jesus very well. I said, you need to know him better. I said, where do you go to church? He said, well, I've only been here a short while. I said, how short? Well, just three or four weeks. I said, have you found a church yet? No, I hadn't looked for one yet. I said, so you don't know Jesus very good, son. If you knew Jesus like I knew Jesus, when you got here, the first day you got here, after you got moved in, the first thing you'd done was find you a church. That's the first thing you would have done, is found you a place to serve the living God. Boy, when I left, that boy was in a whirlwind. You know, he, he got more than he bargained for, I'll say that. You know, but 
when we talk, when we should, when we encounter a human being, we should never leave that person without talking to him about our Savior. You know, that is the only thing that's important. And that's the last words I left with him. I said, son, I don't know what kind of business you're in. I don't know what's brought you here. I really don't care. But I want you to know, if you missed knowing my Jesus, you missed everything. You don't know him very well. So I said, you need to get in to church. You need to get in the Word. You need to know my Jesus in a much better way. And I left him at that. So, <clears throat> let's look at this love walk, where we're supposed to walk, and see how many of us are doing this. 1 Corinthians 13.1, if I could speak in any language in heaven or in earth, but I didn't love others. It would only be making meaningless noises like a loud gong or a clanging cymbal. If you speak in tongues and you don't have love, it's profiting you nothing. I know lots of people that speak in tongues, but they don't walk in love. You know what it profits them? The Word says nothing. If I had the gift of prophecy, I know several people that say they have that. And if I know all the mysteries of the future and everything about everything, but I don't have love for others, what good would I be? You know anybody that has the gift of prophecy and knows everything about everything? Well, but I mean, but he's talking about if you have that and you don't do it in love, what does it profit you? Nothing. See, what, what we think and what God thinks are two different things, isn't it? I mean, you know, man, I mean, I speak in tongues and I speak in tongues more than all of you, you know, and so I must really be somebody. But you don't love your wife. Oh, but that don't make any difference. Oh, yeah. Makes all the difference in the world, you know. <clears throat> The most important thing is love. Then he says, If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, it would be of no value whatsoever. You think love's important in the kingdom? I mean, if it's not, I mean, give me a break. But my wife, she did something awful to me. So I can't possibly love her or do something good for her anymore. Is that love? No, not at all. Somebody said, well, D, you don't know what she did. Or my friend, you know, he really messed me up. Oh, he really cussed me out the other day. I did something wrong, all right. And he just read me the right act, cussed me out big time. I ain't never going to talk to him again. You really got some love, don't you? Now, let's see what love really is. Let's start in the next verse. Love is patient and kind. Wow. It doesn't retaliate, does it? It doesn't snap back and jerk your head off. Love is patient and kind. That's real easy to do. 
Oh. <clears throat> Love is patient and kind. Maybe we need to read that two or three times, huh? Okay, five times. <laughs> Love. <coughs> Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Does it get more difficult as we go on? Love does not demand its own way. Love does not demand its own way. Wow, that's a hard one. I've been told many times by many people, it's either the Thurman's way or the highway. <laughs> In the engineering world where I worked, I was blessed with a very... I think, unique and godly man, and I did know what I was doing. <clears throat> Thank God. I usually prayed over everything, and my gods all knew they could come to me and talk to me about anything. When the final decision was made, I don't care if Bob made the decision or Dan made the decision or whatever their inputs was. <clears throat> if Dan says, I think this is the way we should do this project, if I thought about it, I said, okay, do it that way. He knew that what he had said was my way. He knew, and they found out real quick, but if they all wanted something done in one way, and I said, no, that's not the way it's going to, we're going to do it this way. They knew they had to do it my way because they knew that I knew I was responsible to the executive VP. And they all knew. That if Dan made the decision how to do something, and I said, that's it, go for it, that'll work. And he did that and it failed. He knew when I stood before the VP, I would always say, Chief, I made the final decision and I messed up. It was my fault. Never, never would I ever say it was his fault. I never did that in my whole life as an engineer. I always, as a head of maintenance, head of engineering, wherever, whatever I was over, whatever we were designing a building, I always took the final authority and I never said nothing. Now then, if we did something, if Dan, let's just use one of the guys' names because one of them was named Dan, if Dan came to me and said, I think we need to make do this, I'd look at it and I'd say, you're right, let's do that. And he would do it. And the VP would see something, it was done, he comes to me and says, Herman, that chore, me and him talked about it. I never told him who made the decisions. I said, this is what we're going to do. But he comes to me and said, you made a great decision there. That really helped the company. I said, well, it was Dan's idea. So he would go to Dan and say, Dan, that idea you had really blessed the company. I always give them the glory. I never took it. See, this is, but they got the idea real quick. That if Thurman's, if it's his way, it's his way or no way. But I never took the credit for it if, they, if it was their idea. But if it was their idea or mine and it failed, I always took the blame. Because being where I was in life, I knew I was responsible. So I didn't want to be like Adam. <clears throat> you know, whenever his wife messed up. 
you know, everybody wants to be standing around when the rewards are handing out. I mean, you might have, I mean, I've noticed with the guys, as they were in and they were throwing their ideas in, if Bob had the best idea, and but Dan and Jack and Mike and all them, they wasn't too sure about this. But if Bob's idea turned out to be great, but yet all of them had a little, pro- little something to do in putting this together, all that was Bob's idea. And others didn't agree with it, but when it came out, it turned out perfect. When the VP would see something, and I would be handing out the glory of Bob's idea. When, he, when they're out there, well, they'd say, well, Chief, I put this on, or I did this. So they wanted a little bit of the glory, too. Is that, is that human beings? Sure. But yet it wasn't their idea. They didn't agree with that. But that's where we need to get away from. You know, in love. This love is not easy to walk in. Love is not easy to walk in. You've got to read this. In fact, I'm going to tell you, any couple, any couple that's having trouble, if they will read these first eight verses of 1 Corinthians 13, probably a half a dozen times a day, it'll take that many for God to get it in your spirit of what your position is with Him. But if you believe Him, It'll change the way you do business. Now, you're going to have to read it over and over. Because if you don't read it for a while, you're going to fall back under the flesh. And you'll become your old normal self. That's why God says, study the Word. Stay in it. Read it over and over and over and over. Well, I guess I'm the only one. I read the Bible over and over, and I still have to read it over and over to remember it. But I know some of y'all, you read it one time, you say, I read it once, so I don't ever need to read it again. I got it. You ever had people tell me that? Oh, I read the Bible once. How long ago? Oh, about 30 years ago. You don't study? Oh, no, I read it once. I got it. <clears throat> I had an executive VP from one of the biggest schools in the Washington. I can't even think of which schools up there, but some great ones. He was a great friend of mine, a computer science engineer. He was a Baptist and a lady's little wife to Jesus, and he finally, I got them to reading the Word of God together. And they read through the whole New Testament one time. He called me when he got through his sermon. Now, I will have to say the book is very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, we have read it through one time, my wife and I. So he said, I've got it now. I said, okay, good. So I said something about a promise of God. He said, uh, where was that? I don't remember that. I said, I thought you said you read it. He said, well, I did. And I thought you said you had it. He said, well, I thought I did. But we went back and opened up the Scripture and read this promise. He said, you know, I must have missed that. I said, well, how about this one? And I quoted you something else. He said, well, where is that at? And he went over. He said, you know, I guess I must have missed that too. After about three of those, I told him, I said, I don't think you have it. I think maybe you better, you may, you may be a, a computer science specialist and you may have graduated from, with a Ph.D. from whatever it is. I forget which one of the big, beautiful schools after he graduated with a Ph.D. And he was always going back to school. I said, but I got a feeling you don't have the Word of God. You need to go back and read it. You can't get it one time, can you? You can't get it. You can study this book the rest of your life. In fact, do you know if you were to read these first eight verses we're reading about today, if you read those every day, at least three times a day, at least three times a day, every day for 30 days, you can, it'll change your life. 
It'll change your life. God will be able to change your life. If you're having trouble with your mate, both of you, both of you, sit down and read these. I remember one time my son and my daughter were having a knockdown drag out. I know none of y'all's children ever done that, but mine did. <clears throat> and they were having a little disagreement, and one of my son's friends was there, and something they wanted to do, and Amanda, she this strong-willed little girl. She didn't want them to do what they wanted to do, and so she wanted her way. Kind of like a lot of white ladies that I know. <clears throat> you know, some of y'all are strong-willed, you know, so... Mine definitely was. My daughter was a strong-willed little girl. So she was all upset with her brother and his friend. And so I said, honey, y'all come in here a minute. And I want us to read the Bible. My daddy, I don't want to read the Bible right now. I said, it don't make no difference whether you want to or not. We're going to read it. So I said, I want to start right here in 1 Corinthians 13. And I want us to read the first eight verses. And so I handed the Bible to her. I said, read it. And she read those first eight verses, and I said, okay, now you read them. Did you learn anything? No. I said, well, read them again. Daddy, I don't want to read them again. I said, read them again slowly. So she read them a little slower. I said, did you learn anything this time? No. It wasn't quite so quick, but she said, no. I said, well, read them again. After we read them three or four times, and I said, did you learn anything? She said, yes, Daddy. I said, what did you learn? She said, I need to love my brother and his friend. I said, okay, you got it. Now you all go back to playing. And it changed everything. The whole, uh, whole afternoon, it changed everything. So she got out of her little, you know, deal with them. And she was loving and kind to them and let them do what they wanted to do. They was wanting to play with something. She wanted to play with something else. They begin to share. Now, what was it that changed her? The Word. The Word. He, love. And it, it, he says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. In other words, when it says love is not boastful or proud or rude, that means if you're the spouse, man or woman, makes no difference, you will watch what you say to your spouse. I've made the wrong statement to mine several times, but I've got a feeling that some of you out there have made the same dumb mistakes I have. You know that? So, you, know, you may make a little statement. Both Cheryl and I both have done that to each other, either kidding or something. But, you know, that's why God says no jesting, no coarse joking. Because, you know, when you say something just, you never know how you're going to affect your mate. You know that? But you can definitely affect them. So be careful what you say. Read this. It says, love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable. I have that problem every once in a while. <clears throat> I know that every once in a while at the ministry center when I have a bad day and when I'm under pressure... I hate to say that I do let a little pressure. Here a while back, I was preparing to teach some things, and I had, I was working on about 50 radio shows, 15-minute radio shows. I needed to get those out so I'd have time to go do everything else. I got radio shows up till about the middle of March now. I've already got those on the web. You know, you can't see them until they, the day that they're due, but the people that broadcast them, they can see all of them. But I have them on there up until March. 
But to sit down and make 50, 15-minute radio shows, it's just a little bit of agony. If you never have done that, don't, don't give me a problem unless you've done it, you know. Now then, but I've done that many times. But also in the same time, I was preparing to make 15, 30-minute television shows, you know. And all this was coming together about the same time. So, I mean, here I'm in my office. Cheryl ain't never seen me spend as much time behind locked doors. Me and God. You know, I'm in there with my computer, and I'm listening, I'm reading, I'm praying, I'm doing all kinds of things, and then somebody would come knock on the door. I'd finally answer the door, and I said, what do you want? Oh, I'm sorry. So even Kathy, she made me a sign, put on the outside, and says, He's he's uh, making radio shows or something. Whatever it says, don't bother him. <laughs> but you know, I let the pressure get to me. I became a little irritable whenever I came out. Sometimes instead of saying "Hi, how's everybody doing," I wasn't quite so loving and kind. I'd go to get a cup of tea, or somebody would want to talk to me, and I, I, they could tell I was in a hurry to get back to my office. I got a deadline to meet. I know none of y'all ever done this, have you? No, no, no. I see some of y'all rolling your eyes thinking, oh, God, have I done that? I might have done that this morning. (laughs) Oh, I know how we are as human beings because I am one. Unfortunately, I am one. And you are too. That's why the Lord tells us. And it keeps no record of when it has been wronged. Oh, my wife or my son or my daughter or my spouse messed up. They made a mistake. Now, I'm going to give them a very short period of time to repent or I'm leaving. What does the Scripture say? Love does what? Keeps no records of wrong. But you wronged me ten years ago, and don't you ever do it again. I won't never forget it. I've got that in the back of my head. You ever make that mistake again, and it's over. Is that love? Is that God kind of love? Nope. Nope. You see where I'm coming from? This is this is a hard chapter. But do you want your faith to work? Do you want God to answer your prayer? Do you want people when they come into your presence to want to know about Jesus? Hey, then you're going to have to walk here. Is it possible to walk here? Yes. Is it going to be easy? No. It's going to be easy. And of course for you, since I know the line of business you're in, every time you get to walk in the love or trying, the devil's going to send some good old boy up there that's going to put you to the test. I mean, he's going to mess up on that building project you're on. You want to go and reach up and grab him by the shirt collar and say, You dummy! Don't you know you messed up? You cost us a week here? But you can't go there, can you? No, not anymore. Not anymore. See, I know the line of work he's in. I used to be in the same kind of stuff. I know what just one man can do to mess up a project and how it can just cost the company multitudes of dollars. You want to just grab them by the neck. But you want to reach up and grab them in love and say, sit down here, let's talk about this. 
Now, that's the God kind of love, right? Yeah. Not anything wrong with showing them how to do it right, but you got to do it in love. And then when you show them this time, you don't keep no record of that wrong. You don't do that again two years from now, and you say, look, two years ago you made that same dumb mistake, and this time I'm firing you. Is it hard to remember, I mean, to forget what people do for against you? Is it hard? Almost impossible. Almost impossible. But God tells us to do it. And he says, love. Love is not irritable, and it keeps no record of when it has been wronged. You do something wrong to someone, or especially your spouse. You do something wrong to your spouse, and your spouse becomes irritable. You know, she don't like or he don't like what you said. And they come to and she says, honey, is there something wrong with you? No, nothing. Everything's fine. Yeah, sure it is. <laughs> I can tell. No, nothing's wrong. Are you sure there's nothing wrong with you? Nope. Everything's fine. How about let's go out and get something to eat? No, it's okay. I ain't going. You can go by yourself. I ain't going with you. You sure nothing's wrong? No, ain't nothing wrong. I'm okay. You're lying. You're not walking into God kind of love. You're not doing at all what the king told you to do. Not at all. But you know, when you have a problem then, when you pray, you want the king to answer your prayer. And when you're not walking in love, guess what he says? I'm sorry. You didn't do what I told you to do. I told you to walk in love. Just like that gentleman yesterday said, when God spoke to him, he wanted good for that man. He said, don't pass that car. Of course, he's questioned, just like any normal man. God, why? He said, just obey me. If we could just get to the point where we could just obey this word. He's telling us this right now. As I'm speaking these words to you, it's just as if Jesus himself were standing on this platform telling you these words. You know that? No different. It's his word, isn't it? And if I'm reading it, it's just as good as if Jesus was speaking it. It's from the King. It's from the King of the universe. Love is patient and is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable and it keeps no records of wrong. It is never glad when injustice, about injustice, but it enjoys whenever the truth wins out. Love only gives up once in a while. That's not what it said? What does it say? Love what? So what's wrong with us? Are we walking in love? I don't think so. Love never fails. If you stay in the God kind of love, it will never fail. I don't know about you, but I want to walk in a God kind of love. I want to be able to stay in that God kind of love. I want God to answer my prayer. I want to walk in love. I don't care what anybody does to me. I want to love them. Can we do that? Only if we stay in the Word. You know, if you don't read this once in a while, you know how long it'll take for the devil to steal this out of your heart? Oh, in a day or two or a week or a month. You know, But if you read this every day, and if you read it two or three times every day, how long would it take you to read 
verses 1 through, actually 4 through 8 is all you really need to read. If you read verses 4 through 8 every day, three times a day, do you think, and every day, do you think the devil would ever be able to steal this out of your heart? No. You would become the most awesome lover. You would become a person that it wouldn't be long if we could stay in there and read that and listen to this over and over and over and do what God says. It wouldn't be long till we could be those people that when somebody just walks up to you in a store, anywhere, they would be drawn to you in a store. They just walk over and say, I need to talk to you. I mean, you don't know why this young man's coming up there. I mean, what did that young man come to talk to me for the other night? I mean, I don't know this kid. I'm in a store. I have no idea who this, all of a sudden this boy just is drawn over and he wants to talk to me. God knew that I had this boy's answers. He knew I would not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, and he knew I would talk to him in love about Jesus. I left the boy something to think about. And I trust the Holy Spirit will go with that boy, and I'm trusting that today somewhere that boy's out looking for him a church. You know, what that man told me last night, or another night, whatever it was, a few nights ago, that man I ran into in that store, he told me I need to find a church. I guess I better find one. If he really knows Jesus, that Holy Spirit will be working on him, won't he? Yes, he will. Now, what if I hadn't said anything? Or what if I had just talked to him about something, the weather? It wouldn't have profited us nothing, would it? Nothing, nothing. Let's read these one more time before we stop today. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It yields to others and their ways. Love is not irritable. And it keeps no records of when it has been wronged. Boy, that's a hard one. Especially after you've done me wrong. 20 times, I'm counting. Are you supposed to, are we sharing? The Word says, but Thurman, you don't understand. He done me wrong 10 times. Oh, okay, that means you only got 10 to forgive. What if you done it 50? Well, I ain't ever going to forgive him 50. Now, wait a minute. How many times did Jesus say forgive him? 70 times what? That's 490 times in one day? Give me a break. God's got to be crazy. Now, why do you think He wants that? Because He wants you as His children to walk into God's kind of love so He can answer your prayer. So He can talk to you. So you can hear Him. Because if you're walking in His kingdom doing what He says, there's no limitations between you and God. He'll talk to you. He'll share things with you. You'll get things in the Spirit just like that. Oh, what a wonderful place to live. But He wants all of us to live there. That's why He gave us these spiritual laws to walk in. I love to be able to come to God and have a direct communication. If I'm on the job doing something, I say, Lord, I don't know what to do here, but I know you know what to do. You send me the right people to get this job done. Thank you, Lord. It's done. Bam. A guy walks in and says, hey, can I help you do this? And you're awestruck. But He'll do it. I've had Him do that to me in the workplace many times. 
or just give me a, I mean, I've just, I mean, I think of the times I've prayed over pieces of equipment and everything, a piece of equipment that nobody could fix. And they couldn't fix it. Or I'd be flying somewhere to fix something. I mean, just like going to Chicago that time when this VP down here wanted me to go up there. And I went up there and in a two-day trip, I prayed said, God, I ask you to show me all the things they've done wrong in this place. And one of the little things alone that the general manager couldn't believe he had missed that and made a mistake in that area. And it had only cost him about $700,000 in the last year. A simple little mistake. I found it when I walked in the door. I said, oh, y'all are doing this wrong. I, I said, hey. And actually, just to tell you how simple it was, when I walked in the place, I'd ask God to give me revelation and wisdom. You know, in the food industry, of course, I'm in the engineering part of this, but in the food industry, I mean, for an airline, if you do 30,000 meals a day, what if you put on 1.5 ounces of green beans? Instead of putting that, you put 1.8 ounces of green beans. What do you think that does in a year? Hey, they weigh everything. They take it. They put everything right to the limit because they know what it can do to them. It can ruin you. I mean, you know, when you go to a restaurant, you dip you out a great big old half in the green beans. You don't weigh them. You get what you want. So they charge you enough money to make sure that they're covering you whatever you can get. But that's not the way it is in the airline industry. They got them meals down to a science and they pay them, uh, they paid them a, whatever, a dollar and seventy three cents for that meal. So they had everything covered. But the ice, we sold them, American, in Chicago, eight pound bags of ice. That's what they paid us for. Eight pounds. I walked in there bagging ice. I told the boys, I said, guys, you know what those bags are supposed to weigh? No. I said, they're supposed to weigh eight pounds. When's the last time y'all weighed them? Well, we haven't weighed them, you know, in a long time. I mean, the volumetric efficiency of the plane should be the same. I said, no equipment changes. You need to weigh them regularly. So we took, and the bags weighed anywhere from 10.4 to 10.7 pounds per bag. We only sold them 40,000 pounds a day. 40,000 pounds a day, and they were 20% over? How much do you think that cost a company? Nearly a million bucks in a year. I mean, of course, that's just a little tiny thing, right? A million dollars between friends? What's that? That'll pay a lot of people's wages, won't it? A lot. But that one little thing God showed me, they were awestruck that I found that. As soon as I walked in the door, I found that. How did I find that? I'd ask God to give me wisdom and knowledge and understanding. I'm doing everything I can to walk into God's kind of love as close as I know how. I wasn't perfect. I'm still not. But I'm working on it. Aren't you? You know how you're going to get there? You're going to get there reading this book. You're going to get there reading this book. You're going to come back and say, Now, God, this is a word from you. You told me that everything, the thing that's important to you, is faith expressed through love in Galatians chapter 5. That's what's important to you. My faith expressed through my love. So I'm going to walk in your kind of love, Lord, 
And as I walk in your kind of love, then when I speak or when I touch people in the name of Jesus, people are going to be drawn to me for salvation. They're going to be drawn for healing, for deliverance, and everything. And I want everybody who comes in my presence to be a different person when they leave. I don't want them to be the same. I want them when they talk to me. I want them to, just like Sharon and I sat down the other day and talked out there, and I, Sharon, she prays for people by the dozens every day. I told her, I said, Sharon, if everybody you talk to when you get off the phone with them, they need to not remember Sharon Jones. They need to remember that woman I talked to, she's the most godly woman. She's like Jesus. I said, they need to realize they had a meeting with the king when they talked with you. Is that what we need? Somebody calls in, they're rude as they can be. What do you do? Bounce back? You're kind and gentle. And we have them. They call in, because we have some out there that will be rude as they can be to share them. Now, I want to talk to Pastor Thurman. I ain't talking to nobody else but him. She said, man, were they rude to me. And when I call, they're a little putty tapped. What's the difference? What's the difference? See, they don't know that Jesus, same Jesus in her, that's in me. If they had that revelation, it would have been just as nice to her as it was to me. Is that true? So when you talk to someone, if they're a Christian, who are you talking to? Jesus. So next time your mate or your buddy, you got a buddy up here and he's doing something you don't like, you don't holler at him and scream back at him because if you do, guess who's in him? Jesus. So when you look at your mate, when you hold your mate, you need to realize Jesus is in her. When I talk to her, I'm talking to Jesus. You need to remember that. How easy is it for us to forget that? Oh, it's real easy. It's real easy. But see, if you read this over and over and over, you won't forget it quite as often. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. The reason I'm reading this so much is for me. It probably can't hurt you either. Love is not irritable, and it keeps no records of wrongs when it has been wrong. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Never Love never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. How many circumstances does it endure through? All of them. So if you step out of love, you lose it. And you won't endure through. And you'll be defeated. This happens so many times between men and their wives. Wives and their husbands. You know, it's very difficult sometimes. Because when your wife is not doing what you want her to do, or your husband is not doing what you want him to do, it's very difficult for you to remember 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. But when you do, I know I can come back to Ty and Cheryl up here. Whenever they were having their problems years ago, when he was definitely not the man he needed to be at home, he was running around out there in the world, and she was ready for a divorce. She'd had all she could stand when she's a praying woman, and God told her. 
said, you see him through my eyes. You let him see me through your eyes, through through my eyes. And so when she started seeing him through the eyes of Jesus, and she was able to look over all those things that he was doing wrong, he was not a nice guy. You look at him now, you think, no, 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 that's a lie. Yeah, let me tell you. <laughs> he'll tell you. He'll tell you he was not a nice guy back in those days. If you'd ask him back then, he'd say, yeah, the best guy on the block. <laughs> that's what he thought back in those days. But he didn't have a clue about the love of God. But when God broke him with his love, he did one of the most awesome things I've ever seen. I mean, he's got love that's running over today. I mean, he's got love that's running over. Now then, what caused it? This lovely little lady sitting by his side. Now, when, when he wasn't lovable, she loved him and forgave him and walked in love. And did everything God told her to do. And that love won him over. How often does love fail? Oh, isn't that amazing? Looks like we finally learned, doesn't it? Looks like we finally learned. Love never fails. Never. Tough, isn't it? Can we do it? Absolutely, because God said we can. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace and your mercy, because you have the ultimate love. Lord, when we mess up over and over and over, you say you, as soon as we repent of our sins, you remember those sins no more. And you throw them away and you restore us to fellowship and put us back as the righteousness of God in Christ. And you clean us up like we've never committed a sin. Lord, I, that's beyond my ability to comprehend how you can do that. But your word says you do that. And Lord, I am grateful. And you told us you made us in your image. So help us to become like you. So that when somebody offends us or says something wrong or whatever, we can just look over it and keep praising the Lord, worshiping Him, knowing that in time you're going to work it out for us. You're going to make things beyond our wildest dreams because, God, we're going to trust You. We're going to believe what You said in Your Word. And we're going to believe that I don't care how bad things are with a child or a mate or anything else, that You are bigger than the problem. And that you can overcome it. And you can conform that child or that person or even us, Lord, if the problem is us. Change us. And, Lord, a lot of us don't think we're the problem, but we are. So, Lord, we give you the freedom to move into our hearts and our lives to totally change us wherever you want to. Lord, we know that we have to ask you. But, Lord, I pray that every one of us would ask you to move into our hearts and change us. Whatever it takes, move whatever mountain it takes and change us so that we can truly, totally be men and women of God that will love our mates, love our children, go places with our mates when, they, when we really don't want to go, when we feel like doing something else, but realize we need to go with them and do with them things. Lord, Lord, help us to realize that. Help us, Lord. Lord, that was on my heart because the other night Cheryl asked me to go somewhere with her. And I was so busy studying and doing everything. And I, I wanted, and then I wanted to go flying. But, you know. <laughs> I 
But she asked me to go somewhere with her, and I said, no, honey, I don't think I'll go. I've been studying all day. I'd rather go flying. And she said, oh, fine. I knew that broke her heart right there. So I told her, no, I'll go. I'll go. I put you first. And so it changed everything for the evening because I did what she wanted me to do instead of doing what I wanted to do. Lord, help us to walk in the God kind of love with our mates. Lord, only you can do this, but your word, your word will do it to us. Lord, make us the loving kind of people that you want us to be, like your word says we're supposed to be, so that when we walk into God kind of love, that we will walk in such great and awesome love that people will be drawn to us for salvation, healing, and deliverance. And then, Lord, since faith works through love, Lord, as we walk into God kind of love, let our faith grow to a level where that those promises you made us in your word, anything we ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, you will do for us. And so, therefore, Lord, by walking in love, people can come to us. We can pray the prayer of faith for them. And people that are not even close to walking in love can be healed and delivered and set free because you use our faith and you want to heal and deliver those people. But you can't go beyond what you've written in your word. If we don't obey you and do what you said, you cannot go over what you said you will do. You've limited yourself to your word. So help us not bind you up, Lord, by our not walking in the God kind of love. Let us walk in that love. Let us read these verses over and over this week, Lord, so that we can and will walk in the God kind of love. Father, thank you for this message you give me today. Lord, I did not plan to teach this message at all. I prepared for hours and had a totally another message. But Lord, standing right here a while ago singing, you, this is what you told me to speak. So I'm grateful, Lord, that I'm tuned into you and listening to you because I know there's somebody in here today, maybe every one of us, needed this message today. I know I did. It might not have been for nobody else, but it was for me. Lord, thank you for your word and your promises and your love. Now, Lord, as we go this week, use us mightily for your kingdom. Lord, if those that can that want to come back on Tuesday night, 7 o'clock for a Bible study, we will be here. Lord, we praise you and thank you for what you do and your word, which changes all of us. Thank you, Father, for the day. And bless everyone that's here today. And use them this week for your glory. In Jesus' name.